What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. Blue wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Clip and Roll. I am your host, Justin Russo. Yo, yo. Yo, yo, ma, baby. I'm your other host, Barbad Esnashari, yo. Do you want to say where you're from or do you not care to do that today? No, I'm full yo today. Full yo, okay. This podcast is being brought to you by DoorDash, NFL Sunday Ticket, Bet Online, Blue Wire, and my ruggishly handsome good looks. I gotta say, I'm a good-looking guy. You should be jealous. Where is this coming from? I don't know. I have confidence today. Just let me have the confidence. I'm not usually confident that much. Let me have it. It's because you started the podcast with a yo-yo. That yeah was the yo-yo, and then we every like every yo-yo, we come right back. Oh, I'm on fire today, baby. Let me leave, retire. <laughs> Pull a Marvin Williams. Just leave. Get retire. <laughs> Get eliminated by the Heat in five games and leave. We're not going to be talking about the Miami Heat or the Milwaukee Bucks today or even anything really in the East until we get to questions later. There are going to be questions that people sent in that we will answer. So we'll get to that uh, towards the end. But we are here because, of course, you came to listen to the Los Angeles Clippers and everything pertaining to them. And Farbod, through three games of the second round, the Clippers are up two games to one. And you could argue they should probably be down two games to one. And in some cases, you could slightly argue they might or not might, they could be up 3-0. Um, I wouldn't really argue that they could be down two games to one because, like, at the end of the day, I mean, it's almost similar to the Laker game. Like, when you think about it, at the end of the game, day, like, the better team won in terms of game three for both teams. It was just, like, it was neck and neck the whole time, and then one team just turned it up a notch, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's – it's kind of what happened. It was just interesting because – I think you could make the case it could be 2-1 Denver, 2-1 Clippers, 3-0 Clippers. Like, that's the only thing. Because game one, and we're going to start there, game one was a blowout. Denver came in. At one point, it was 36-36 in the second quarter, and then the Clippers just blew their doors off. Denver looked completely exhausted after playing the game seven two days prior. Um, the Clippers hammered them 120-97. to Denver shot like crap from three. They were 9 of 36 from three, which is 25%. 
you know, the Clippers just looked great. You know, they had 14 turnovers, the Clippers did, but they had 23 assists. They made 10 of their 24 threes. They were, you know, able to get into the paint. They did all these lovely things. And then game two came around and all those lovely things kind of fell by the wayside as the Denver Nuggets put up a 44 point first quarter to lead by 19 after one. But to the Clippers credit, they clawed and just clawed and scratched and fought to get their way back into that game. And I believe it was a five, a three or five point game with like eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter or two point game, maybe even. And like they had their chances and then Denver just hit them with major overtures of haymakers. Nikola Jokic had 26 points, 18 rebounds, four assists in game two. Uh, Jamal Murray had 27 points, six assists. Now those two primarily did their damage in game two in the first half. In the second half, we got uh, points from Monty Morris. We got points from Gary Harris, Paul Millsap. So it was the role players. But the other story of game two, Farbod, Kawhi Leonard, four of 17. Paul George, seven of 19 for 22 points. Paul George was their best player in game two, which it, like you hear that shooting line seven and 19, but he was their best player. And then everyone else, like Marcus Morris, three of nine, you know, Lou Williams, six of 16. No one on the Clippers really shot well. And yet the Clippers were still in that game. So it gave you some hope, didn't it? I mean, that game was so weird because they get down by 21 or 22, and I'm like, they still might win this thing. Yeah, they were down 21, what, in the first quarter? Or is it 19 in the first? I think it's 21. But either way, you know, you get down that big in the first quarter, and, like, the third quarter, they had every opportunity in the world to just steal the lead back. But somehow they just kept turning it over, just doing something dumb. And it was like Denver did everything possible to blow the lead. And I had Nuggets fans DMing me being like, uh, I still expect a Clipper comeback. And then like even Nuggets fans were like, we're not going to hold this lead. So it was and when the Clippers cut it to five, I was like, oh, OK, here we go. But then as this, the game has been, it's just one minute a team goes on a 7-0 run and another minute another team goes on an 8-0 run. Yeah, the Clippers got close. It was like they just couldn't get over the hump in game two, which is funny because we're going to fast forward to game three. And in game three, the Nuggets and Clippers both come out on fire. Both teams are hitting everything. And it's a heavyweight slugfest. They're going back and forth. You know, halftime, it's a it's a two-point Denver lead. And you're like, okay. Then you get to the fourth quarter. And Denver takes a seven-point lead with about 5.30 or so to go. And you're like, oh, man, they're really about to go down 2-1. And then the Clippers just punched them hard right in the mouth and knocked them down and ended up stealing the game 113-107. And in game three, Paul George, 32 points, four rebounds, four assists, two steals, 12 of 18 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. Kawhi Leonard redeems himself, 23 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks, one of them with his middle finger against Jamal Murray late in the 4th, 9 of 19 from the field. Montrezl Harrell didn't look that good in the first three and a half quarters, looks good at the end of the game. Lou Williams looked tremendous defensively, which is not a sentence I thought I would ever say in my life, but he did. Nikola Jokic has 32, 12, and 8 and looks really dominant at times, but then they suffocated him in the, uh, down the stretch of the fourth quarter. And one of the themes that we have seen is just that. The second half of games, the Clippers have looked the better team and by far the more dominant team. 
But the problem to me, honestly, is you can't wait till the second half to just flip the switch defensively. You got to be there from the opening jump ball or else you're going to be in a world of trouble if you let these types of games and these types of starts by Denver happen too frequently. Yeah, game three, honestly, if it's it's so interesting because I was, I was just talking to a Laker fan today about the Rockets game where I said, from the outside perspective, as I watched Lakers versus Rockets game three, even though the Rockets are winning the whole time, I felt, eh, the Lakers are fine. They're going to win. It's fine. I felt and the same thing. I think everyone feels the same thing when they're watching Clippers and Nuggets game three from the outside perspective. But for the fan of the actual team, it's just like doom and gloom the entire time unless they have the lead. And when I was watching game three against the Nuggets, it just I was just thinking like, it really feels like the Clippers are going to lose this game. And that was all I kept thinking. And then once the Nuggets went on the 7-0 run, I was like, okay, now they're losing this game. And then all of a sudden, the Clippers just go on an 8-0 run. It was literally in a span of two minutes. The Nuggets went on a 7-0 run and the Clippers went on an 8-0 run in like yeah, a Clippers, 40 seconds. The Clippers have had these, uh, I'll just call them, they're spurts. They're spurts in game two, spurts in game three. Where for what, like 30 seconds to a minute, the Clippers are like, oh, yeah, we got to play some basketball and then just turn it up to a level that Denver can't get to. And then they go on this run and then they kind of just like lull back asleep and then they have to wake up again. And it was, you know, after the game, I don't remember who asked Lou. It might have been me or somebody else. And he said, when we got to the fourth quarter, we just decided we're not going to lose tonight. And Paul George kind of echoed the same sentiments. And then Kawhi, Kawhi was like, well, we got to play like that for 48 minutes, not just for the fourth quarter. So it's like, if that's what fans are thinking, you know, like, oh, it feels like they just turn it on the fourth. I mean, some of the players are literally saying that's what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, they're getting away with it. And I'm going to talk about respect when we come out of the ad break in a couple minutes, because I, I, I do think there is a respect factor that I do want to talk about in the series, but I'm going to drop you some numbers. I know you're not big into like advanced numbers and all this stuff, but I'm going to give them to you. Ready? You don't know what I'm big into. You're you're big into bad movie takes. All right. Game one for Denver's offense, the first 18 minutes. So the first quarter and a half on the dot first 18 minutes, 108.1 offensive rating, 40 points, five turnovers, a 55.4 true shooting percentage. All solid numbers. All good numbers, actually. The final 30 minutes of game one, a 91.9 offensive rating. 57 points, 10 turnovers, 48.5 true shooting percentage. Fast forward to game two. The game that Denver comes out looking great. First 18 minutes, 146.2 offensive rating. 57 points, 3 turnovers, a 70.1 true shooting percentage. The final 30 minutes of game two, 91.4 offensive rating, 53 points, nine turnovers, 45.8 true shooting percentage. And finally, game three, the first 18 minutes, a 150.0 offensive rating, 51 points, no turnovers, 63.9 true shooting percentage. The final 30 minutes, 84.8 offensive rating, 56 points. 12 turnovers, 47.8 true shooting percentage. I'm trying to figure out what is happening to Denver where after a quarter and a half, they just completely go in the tank. I don't know what the Clippers are doing. I've tried to find it on film. The only thing I've kind of like really zoned in on and keyed in on 
is they just start swarming more. Like they start swarming Jokic more and swarming Murray more. And they start forcing the role players to do more. And I'm like, okay, so you're waiting a quarter and a half to do this. Why aren't you just starting the game like that? It's a little odd, right? I mean, well, the thing is too, that, I mean, to be fair, it's not like, I mean, Zubats is trying on Jokic. In the oh, he is. The He's trying. He's unfortunately like being put in positions where Jokic gets a wide open three. But like, it's not like the effort is awful. It's just not the same as the fourth quarter. You know, like the, the effort of the fourth quarter is like, holy crap. They just like, what just happened? And then the efforts in the first quarter are kind of like just a regular basketball team. Yeah, but it's it's weird to that a minute that a minute and a half. It's weird that a quarter and a half into the game, the Clippers go, oh, yeah, we should probably start playing some defense and then do that. Yeah, I was to be honest, I was more frustrated with the rebounding. Like, you know what? Actually, the the thing that made me frustrated more than anything in game three was just them letting Michael Porter Jr. just dunk the ball 80, 80 million times on offensive rebounds. So one of them, the one in the fourth quarter, I don't know if you know this or remember it at all. The one in the fourth quarter that he has the put back dunk, like really early in the fourth, he only gets that because Jermichael Green is hobbling on the court and that's his guy. I remember that. So it's like, I'm, I'm watching that play going. That's the only reason that happened. Otherwise, whatever. Cause I know Jermichael's going to compete on the glass. Well, I mean, he's still got like three other ones on Trez where I was just like, okay, guys, just stop letting this guy get offensive rebounds over and over and over and then dunk 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 and then r.i.p trez you've counted on restaurants now they're counting on you and while their dining rooms may be closed they're still open for delivery with doordash doordash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door ordering is easy open the doordash app choose what you want to eat and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too, so just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, the code is BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, so you never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv TV and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, so when looking at the series so far, the one thing I keep kind of coming back to, and I felt this way before the series, and I felt this way after game one, and I even felt this way after game two, which is odd because it was a loss. 
I don't think the Clippers respect the Denver Nuggets. Like, I think they look at the Nuggets and just look at them as like a stepping stone to a matchup, a potential matchup with the Lakers in the conference finals. They don't look at them as anything close to their equal. And that could be dangerous because they kind of did that a little bit with the Dallas Mavericks. But I do think they respected the Mavericks slightly more because I think they thought Doncic was a bigger threat than even Jokic is. I mean, some of the guys, it seems like Kawhi definitely respects them. Kawhi respects everybody. Paul Paul George seems to like respect them to a degree, but and on some ends you wonder if they respect them and on other ends, it just seems like they're playing to being the heel now. Like when Patrick Beverly was talking about how Jokic is flailing right before he answered that question, he started smiling and I was like, Oh, he's he's about to stir up the pot and he kind of smirked about it. So it seems like they're just deliberately trying to be the heels a little bit. Maybe. Um, I want to talk about Pat's comments for a second. Um, number one, Jokic flops. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Personally, I don't care that he does. I think it's kind of funny. Um, Doncic did it. Patrick Beverly flops. Kawhi Leonard does it. Paul George does it. Literally, probably 80% of the league does it. And that might even, that might be way too high. But like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, everyone does it. Like, it's just a thing where you Which try to sell the calls. Me. Huh? Which upsets me, um, which is a whole nother conversation. But I do think the only difference between Jokic, I mean, P- Pat does some egregious stuff. But oh, the big Pat thing, does some downright absurd things. But I think the difference between Jokic and almost everybody else. So Pat is doing it on the defensive end where like he just like falls on the floor. Right. And I think the thing that frustrates it, frustrates people more about watching Jokic is Jokic is posting you up and he shoves you and then he flails after he shoves you. And it's like, what what just happened? Like, why why does this guy keep flailing every time he's pushing me? What why it, and it becomes like kind of just silly to look at. I think it's I think it just frustrates big men. Like I remember Marcin Gortat last year. Uh, was that last year? Or last yeah, year. Was last season. Yeah, he began. Oh, yeah, if people Jokic. don't remember if biggest people forgot though, NBA history is what Gortat called him last year. Let, let's let's refresh people's minds. Marcin Gortat was the Clippers' starting center on opening night last season. Boy, how far have we come? That's wild. It feels like forever ago. Now, obviously, stuff in the world has pushed everything back, so that's why. But who feels like a while, my man? Um, I don't know if he's the biggest flopper in the league. It doesn't bother me that he does it. Like, well, that's not true. Sometimes it does. Sometimes I'm just like, well, that's basketball. For instance, there's the foul where Montrezl Harrell fouls him by putting two hands on his hips, which you're not allowed to do. That is an actual foul. By the letter of the law, that is a foul. You can't put your hands, both of them, on his hips. And he does it as Jokic is driving. If you're watching it on TV, he's driving across the free throw line area from elbow to elbow, running from near side to far side on the camera. And he does like, and he he just sells this contact and it's a foul. They call it. And he does like this flailing arm mode. He looks like the wacky waving inflatable arm tube man. And you know what? It's a foul. But I also get why it frustrates people when that's what you see out of this big center who is insanely skilled. And that's what you have to deal with. It makes your life a living hell and it frustrates you. So I get why the Clippers are frustrated. I also think it's something they just have to deal with and they're just going to have to live with it. 
uh, Nikola Jokic draws fouls pretty much more than anyone else in this series. Uh, he drew seven fouls in game three, more than anyone else in the, in, in the game. Which is so, why I think it's kind of dumb that both him and Mike Malone were like, well, look at the box score. Look at how many free throws we shot. So if you go back and watch the Jokic fouls, they fouled him like 18 feet away from the hoop every time. It wasn't like he was shooting. Like yeah, his free throws in the act of a post up. Yeah, it's it's either in the act of a post up or him moving across the paint. Those are the fouls. But I still do think Pat's just being a troll, and that's why he said that. That could that's be. He probably it, is. That's all it came down to. Because when I saw that smirk, I was like, he's he's about to do some Pat stuff. And let's be honest, the other side of the Patrick Beverly thing. Uh, number one, he said that just to piss people off. That's Patrick Beverly. Number two, it's gamesmanship in a postseason series. Everybody is trying to work the refs. You're trying to get the refs to actually buy into what you're saying to where you get favored. It's a common tactic. Coaches do it all the time. Players do it in post-game interviews. It's not, Players do it in the middle of games. Coaches do it during the middle of the games. Why do you think you'll see a head coach get a technical foul and then the next call goes in his team's favor? Because everything is a work. Like you're trying to work the refs to get them to see things your way and understand that they need to help you more than they need to help the other team. So that's what's kind of going on. It's a little bit of gamesmanship. It's part of the game. It is what it is. I found no problem with what Beverly said. In fact, I loved what Mike Malone said today. The only thing though is uh he shouldn't have mentioned uh he shouldn't have mentioned Luca. See, people said that, and I think the only reason he mentioned Luka Doncic is because they just played him. Also, think he just—it just seems like he's mentioning Luka to be a to be a heel. Like you have to know when once you mention Luka, everyone's gonna be like, "Wow, f this guy, f this guy, Patrick Beverly." You know, you think Patrick Beverly hates Europeans? Mm, nah, he's got Zubots. That's true, but maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe Zubats is his one European friend. No, he didn't. Oh, I mean, nah, but like, I, I still just think he's being a troll. And then Paul George was kind of just put in a situation to have him be like, yeah, he's right. You know, like <laughs> they shouldn't they shouldn't have uh, put Paul George in the situation to ask him about it. Yeah, you don't do that to he him. Can't be like, he can't be like, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with Pat. You know, he's going to have to. There's no good answer he could give. Yeah. Cause, cause either he's, he's disagreeing with his teammate, which is bad, or he's agree. Basically he's either disagreeing with his teammate, which is bad, or he's agreeing with his teammate and making it look like everyone's just crapping on Nikola Jokic. And that's also bad. So the only real thing he could really say without too much consternation is I don't have time for that kind of thing. Like, you know, like that's it. Yeah, uh, but the, the I think the moment you realize he's being a heel is like if you mention Luca, Luca is the darling of the NBA right now. Like everyone, good loves, he's good. Everyone well, loves Luca right now. Hold on, I don't know if everyone loves Luca Doncic as much as TNT loves that Jamal Murray ad that they've just been playing nonstop for the well, last I mean, week. It's, it's been equal the Jamal Murray ad and the LeBron the ad and the LeBron James ad because they've been playing that LeBron ad nonstop where it's like I get it like you guys love them just chill out like it's a whole ad dedicated to how dope LeBron is nonstop. 
By the way, I like that Jamal Murray ad. I like the LeBron ad too. I just don't want to see them a hundred times. I would feel the same way if it was for Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. Like it's just a lot of the ad. It's kind of unfortunate that these like not to be like the old nostalgia guy, but like these ads kind of suck compared to the old playoff ads. Yeah, they're like, not good. Where they had the two faces juxtaposition together. Like they're just not even trying. Yeah, I mean, I can't what? remember the last time I saw a playoff ad where I was like, "Oh, damn!" Like I'm ready. We're gonna get that for Clippers Lakers if we if we get that series. Will we though? Because yeah, even, but like even okay, like the ads are cool, right? Like, but they're they're all there's nothing original. They're all just clips from the other games spliced in a montage. It's not like an original piece of content. Like when they did when I mean, it's kind of a weird one, but like when they had the basketball talk and the basketball was like talking about Michael Jordan's moment with his dad when he fell on the floor in the locker room uh, and the basketball was yeah. talking like stuff like that it's like an actual original piece of content not just a bunch of collages from games that already happened I think it's tough to do the original stuff just because of like the bubble setting no but I just so, mean in general I don't remember oh, the last time I've seen one where I was okay. like damn that was good in the like in the last couple of years no I understand um we are probably going to get it for Clippers Lakers though. At least I hope so. If we get, if we, if we get that series, I have to keep saying, if I don't want people to think, I think it's a foregone conclusion. I don't, it's basketball. It's bubble basketball. Anything could happen. Ask the Milwaukee Bucks. So but the Bucks getting eliminated though, man, that changes things a lot for the Clippers and Lakers. So let's lead into that because we got questions from people. They sent them and I asked people to send in questions and they did. So let's talk about this for the Eastern conference. Who are you most scared of in the East in a potential finals matchup? Boston, Toronto, or Miami? This question comes from underscore, or excuse me, comes from uh, at hoops underscore Nate. So far about who are you most, you said Boston? Easy. I agree with that. I'm more scared of Boston. Toronto and Miami are just a way tier below Boston for me in terms of that. Um, I also probably think Boston's going to the finals now. Boston, I do too. You remember I said like months ago I thought they were my sleeper pick to go to the finals, but now I'm. It seems like it's going to be a Boston finals. I'd be shocked if Miami beats Boston. You and I were in on Boston for a while with like sleeper final stuff. Yeah, I. I mean, I really loved Milwaukee, but Boston was the other team in the East where I'm like, I think that's the team. Well, Milwaukee just didn't look okay. Like Milwaukee just didn't look right in the bubble. But if this was like, if this was like March and we were starting from there, then like I would have had Milwaukee, right? You know, because Milwaukee was just taking it. Milwaukee they looked was great on everybody. They lost something in the bubble, and I don't know what it is. I wonder if it's just. I wonder if they lost just like simple things that added up into big things. You know what I mean? Or if people just didn't practice. Could be that. You never know. Um, so this is the other thing. We already talked about who who are you most scared of? Who's the worst matchup? And th- so the question is, worst matchup for the Clippers out east? This comes from at Jar Jar Brick. Wait, what do you mean worst matchup? Isn't that the worst, you're so you're more scared of Boston. I'm agreeing. Do you think Boston's the worst matchup for the Clippers out east? Or do you think Toronto or Miami might pose a, a worse no, matchup? Boston. I agree with that. Boston okay. matches up with them really well. Like... Jason Tatum, Kawhi, Marcus Smart, Pat Beverly. Then you got Gordon Hayward with like PG or, you know, Jalen Brown. And then their bench isn't that bad either. Their bench is pretty good. And you still have Kemba doing his thing. Like there's, there's just a lot going on with Boston where 
like people like to talk about how deep the Clippers are and stuff. But like Boston's pretty deep, man. Boston's good. Um, all right. This question comes from at Craig Morrow 47. Are the Clippers playing well enough to beat the Lakers in a Western conference finals? If both progress. Yeah. I don't you think want- like, like I don't think the Lakers are playing super. I don't think anybody's playing super great. Like, so not to cut you off. I want to talk about that because my answer was actually going to be, I don't think the Clippers are playing well enough to beat the Lakers, but I don't think the Lakers are playing well enough to beat the Clippers either. They're both playing at like what I would equate to about a B, B, B plus level right now. Yeah, they have games. They'll have like a game or two where you're like, oh, damn, like that's what they look like. You know, like not even games. They'll have a quarter. Well, no, like against Dallas or against Denver, like there's like game one, Denver, maybe game four, Dallas. They have court, they have games where you're like, so that's what they look like in March closer to it. You know, that's how like the Lakers right. look to like game two against Portland or whatever. But like for the most part, both teams seem to, seem to just win in one quarter. Like they like trade blows the whole time. And even today with like the Lakers, like they, they won in one quarter. If it wasn't for playoff Rondo, I don't think they win game three against the Rockets because Rondo was just like, Hey guys, step back three. What's up? And then you're like, they okay. might not even win game two without him. Yeah, I don't know. I was watching. Way, I was watching Tenet at the time, so I didn't see game two. By the way, do you know that through the first three games of that series, the Lakers have not had the lead going to the fourth in either in any of the three games? Oh, I didn't know that because I didn't watch game two. Yeah, it was actually a, a stat that got put up. Uh, on TNT, I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, it's not a big deal. Obviously, the Lakers won the game. lead going into game in the fourth quarter in game two. Weren't they up like 21 points? They were up by 21 in the first half, but Houston took the lead going to the fourth. It was a weird game from Houston, though, in game three, because like the first three quarters, I was like, damn, these guys are like playing kind of smart. Like, they're just taking it to the rim over and over. They're only yeah, shooting the threes when it's a good three. They're not just like heaving it up. Because, like, for them to be in the lead when LeBron had, like, 30 at the half, it's like, damn, what are they doing? What are they doing right right now, you know? And yeah. they were playing really smart basketball. And then in the fourth, they were like, nah. Yeah, uh, Rondo happened then. Um, who was the tougher opponent? Houston for the Lakers or Denver for the Clippers? This question comes from at Agent Alvin. They seem probably the same in my I'd opinion. Like Houston is so high variance where you're like, either the Lakers are going to win in five close games or they're going to lose in seven. It's like, it's one or the other. And then Denver just has much better chemistry and is just a problem in a lot of facets. But like, I don't know, man. Like if Houston... Houston's just Houston's a weird team, man. Houston's a really just, weird yeah. team. They're just weird. Um, from at Chenny John, movie takes idea. The Clippers postseason so far resembles what movie? Uh, and then after this, we have one more question, but it's about the Denver series, and I want to talk about that at length. Well, so that's kind of hard to say because if you're looking at each each round as an as a as an act, you know, like the rising action, the climax, like the denouement, like we haven't even gotten to the climax. You know, we're still too early. Do you have that problem? Climaxing early? Is this a real question right now? 
After 800 Bluetooth ads, you think I have a problem? I don't know if that's going to make the cut for the pod. I might just leave that in. People are having a fun time out here. Um, I mean, do you have a movie close to them? That's too early to answer. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what movies I've recently watched, to be honest. I saw Tenet. I don't want to talk about that. I haven't seen it. And I'm not going to see it in theaters. I'm going to wait till it comes out. Um, I said screw it. And I drove to San Diego and watched it in IMAX. I hate you. You're weird. Don't do that. You know what? Oh, man. I have to tell you this after. Is it about the movie? No, no. It's about something else. Okay. If it was about the movie, I'd tell you to shut the hell up. I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know. I don't know what movie. Like, for some reason, Inception it keeps coming to my mind. But that doesn't even make sense. But I guess it kind of does. It's this hodgepodge of people. And it's like alternate. Like, you keep going deeper. And the deeper you go, the weirder it gets. And you're trying to unlock this thing at the end of the tunnel. And something always is kind of creeping up and biting you whether it's armed guards in some snowy fortress. I'm sorry if these are movie spoilers for people if you haven't seen Inception. But, like, that's what it feels like. And that's still not, that, that's not even a good movie to pair with this postseason, but that's just what kept coming to mind. All right. Last question. Jay Woods 2014. Do we want the Clippers to switch the Denver pick and roll with Murray and Jokic with a second switch coming to a wing player covering Jokic. What do you think? Because right now, they're just dropping Zubats, and they're playing lock and trail over the top. And it's working against Murray, but Jokic is going off. I, f- I kind of have more scared of Murray going off than I am of Jokic going off. I'm kind of with you. It's very weird. But here's the other thing that I've... And I'm going to answer this question in a second, but... The other thing I've kind of hated, I think you want Jokic, if you're the Clippers, I think you want Jokic to be the primary scorer, but you don't want him to facilitate because he's their best playmaker and passer and he has the best vision on the team. So I think you should want him to try to score. So I would play him more one-on-one rather than just giving up cutting lanes by being, you know, by looking at him so much. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when he starts passing the ball, it becomes a problem, but they just stopped doing that in the second half. But, um, yeah, I'm just more I like after what I saw from Jamal Murray and in the Utah series, that was a dude who was capable of bringing a team back from three one. So, like, I think I'm more scared of that. Outside of the first half of Jamal, uh, outside of the first half of game two, Jamal Murray's not been that guy in the series. The Clippers yeah. are just suffocating him. Kawhi Leonard suffocated him in game one. Paul George absolutely suffocated him in game three. Paul George was the best player on that floor. Paul George. George Paul. By the way, I told you he would shoot 40% from three in the series, and so far he's over 40%. Yeah, but I'm dyslexic, so I can't read what he's saying anyway, so you're fine. You didn't win. Okay. Um, at, to answer the question, if I would switch the Murray Jokic pick and roll and then switch it secondly with a wing onto Jokic, I don't think it's a bad idea. What I think they should start to do, to be perfectly honest, is anytime there's a Murray Jokic pick and roll, I think they should trap Murray. Because yeah, that works too. Trapper blitz him because 
I think like Jokic wants to be a passer. So I kind of think you should try to play into that strength of this guy is not going to be as aggressive as he should be as a scorer. Let's play into that. And they're not, they're, they're doing similar stuff to what they did with Dallas, which is they've gotten by so far playing one way and it hasn't really burned them because they're up to one. And if it burns them in game four, maybe you'll see a, like a slight adjustment, but who knows? I just, I think they should try to start blitzing them at times. I think they, when Jokic gets the ball and I want to say this real quick, I touched on it briefly. Lou Williams defense in game three was absolutely sublime from the standpoint of whenever Jokic got the ball at the elbow and Lou was the weak side defender, he would actually come up to try to make Jokic force to pass the ball. And one time in the second quarter, he dug in and actually got a steal on it because the Clippers slowly started to realize, hey, when Jokic gets the ball at the nail, he's usually going to try to post up. So the second he turns to post, send a second defender and try to rip him. You know, it's it's interesting. I was just thinking about it right now as you're talking. The Clippers keep having to go against like the the talented centers of the NBA, and the Lakers keep going to have to go against the talented two uh, backcourts in the NBA. Yeah, it's really interesting from the standpoint of like the Lakers are dealing with guards and the Clippers are dealing with bigs. Yeah. Or well, and if you count Doncic a wing, so yeah. it's it's really interesting because. If you're the Clippers, and this is just obviously looking ahead to a potential Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Clippers, if you're the if you're the Clippers, you played against Luka Doncic, who kind of plays like LeBron a little bit, and you played against Porzingis, who kind of plays like Anthony Davis minus the post ups, but you also played against the post up big in Nikola Jokic, who can pass and rebound like Anthony Davis, but you also played against the big in Porzingis who could block shots like Anthony Davis and be a rim protector. So there is some like similarity there that you can like, like little tidbits that you can take from the series before you, before you play the Lakers, but there might not be much for the Lakers to take from their series going into a Clipper series. But here's the real fun part. You ready? None of that might matter because at the end of the day, those two teams have played each other four times in the regular season. And every game was close as hell. And every game teetered on the edge in the final few minutes. So maybe they already know how to play against each other. And when they get to the Western Conference Finals, every game is going to be a seven-game dogfight. It's going to look like hell, and we're all going to be stressed out. Basketball is stressful. Playoff basketball is very stressful. I kind of forgot how stressful. Like, last year, I was not stressful. I didn't feel stressed because I knew they were going to lose that series. Yeah, it was just kind of a bonus. Yeah, it was like, oh, they won today. That's awesome. Oh, they won again. Well, you know, I was actually kind of stressed in like game five because I was like, yo, if they win today, though, I was like, game five when it was tied two two, I was like, yo, if they win today, all hell's about to break loose. Oh no, they were down three one. No, they were... game five. No, it was it was it was three one. I uh, thought it was two. No, so Golden State won game one. Oh, the yeah, Clippers yeah, yeah, had yeah. The... Sorry, yeah, they won game five. Sorry. It yeah. was when they, when they got to game three, oh. when they got to game three and it was one, one, or I was thinking like, you know, if they win one of these and it's two, two, like this is kind of nuts. you know. I'm always thankful for the clip for that Clippers team for winning game five for one very specific reason. You ready? Did you win money? They let Ralph Lawler call a final game. Oh. Uh. Because game six was always going to be Ralph Lawler's final game, because if there was a game seven, it would have been on ABC. 
And ABC does not have local broadcasts for like the Clippers or the Warriors at the time. ABC is completely national. So any game in the first round that's on like TNT or ESPN or NBA TV, you get local broadcasts. So the Clippers winning game five got them a game six, which let Ralph Lawler call, call one final Clippers game and do so at home, which I thought was really awesome. So I'll always be thankful for that team for, to that team for that one specific thing. That's all. I mean, that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's, okay. I didn't have to respond to that besides that. Okay. All right. You got anything for the good people? That's the way the cookie crumbles. Okay. Do you want to come back after game four on Wednesday? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to because I keep having to write so many articles after every game. It's like okay. it's like 11 p.m. by the time I'm done. Okay. You know what? We'll come back. At, we'll come back on. Uh, I'm going to hold you to this. We will we will record Thursday to talk about game four and prognosticate game five and how big that game will be, because either the Clippers are going to be up three one and looking to close it out in five or it's going to be two two. And the winner of game five takes a stranglehold on the series. So we will talk after game four on game four will be Wednesday. We're going to we're going to record Thursday to come out Friday before game five. That sound good. I'll do my best. Okay. All right. Good people. Thank you so much. I am sorry that you had to hear Farbod talk for roughly 40 minutes. We will see you guys in a couple days. Take it easy. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses don't forget to use the promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that's bluewire all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.